You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome to another episode of Body IO FM. I'm your host, Kiefer, and co host, Dr. Rocky Patel. Hello, Kiefer. And <clears throat> uh, I've got to mention our sponsor, Hylete Athletic Wear. Somebody actually texted me the other day and said, you know, is this something you actually wear and it's any good or are you just pimping something because you make money? And this is literally like I have basically everything in their catalog uh, that's part of the sponsorship and their stuff is great. Uh, it just fits well and everything. So this is something I legitimately use and I'm not just trying to pimp something to make money. Uh, their their clothing is great, and what I like is it's super high quality. It's just really well made, good materials. Uh, so I highly recommend checking them out. Uh, today we were lucky enough. We're always lucky to get our guests, but I love talking to this person. This is Eva. I'm just gonna say Eva T because Power. yeah, I'm gonna butcher her last name otherwise. But uh, Olympic athlete. Now trains others. She surfs a lot. Uh, I think that's I pretty much every text thread we have. There's some conversation about surfing and needing to surf and going somewhere to surf. So uh, just all around amazing athlete, great person. I was lucky enough to be able to hang out with her in Lexington for the Train Like a Girl seminar. Um, and we've got her today. So say hi, Eva, since you already kind of did. Hi, everyone. And so if you're very interested, this is kind of like a, a lot of times it's a trivia question. What is my last name? It's Twardokens. But Eva T is absolutely what I'm, how I'm known. So Twardokens? Yeah. Okay. Not Turducken. No. And there's a lot of versions that are kind of funny, but let's just not go there. <laughs> that's, that's actually what I always think of is though the Turducken for, uh, what is, what is that? I don't even know. It's a turkey stuffed with a chicken stuffed with a duck. A duck. Oh, no. So it's a turkey oh. stuffed with a duck stuffed with a chicken. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Nope. That's not what it is. That's. It's not. That's so got to be. It is. Is that paleo? <laughs> would, would a turducken be paleo? If it it was sounds like if, it would be paleo if, if you it, cook it with the right stuff. Yeah. It's going to be pastured too. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we could make a, a paleo turducken. You could. It sounds like it's from that website where they make the ridiculous food. What is that called? Oh, I like, think the, the YouTube channel, guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Epic Mealtime. Yes, it sounds like an Epic Mealtime gig. That show, if you haven't, if you've never gone on YouTube to watch that show, you have to. The things they make are ridiculous. And what's funny is if you watch their original episodes and you watch their episodes now, they have all gained so much weight. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it should be called the gainers. Yeah, it's it's all muscle, right? Yeah, yeah, um, non-functional padded muscle, non-functional body mass. Yeah, there there is actually muscle in very very obese people. They found a type of muscle tissue that is literally just protein storage. It's non-functional. It's kind of spongy. Uh, it has bad vascularization. But it, it essentially just stores extra protein. And when they starve themselves, it goes pretty fast. Ugh. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. So we, I got to check it out and see that with well, the weight gain. I haven't been there in a while, but. Yeah, it's impressive. They're very, they're, their food is just impressive. That's all I can say. Have you ever watched it, Rocky? I have not seen this. I am going to be looking on my phone as soon as we're off. We'll, we'll have to put one of their uh, YouTube videos on this, on the page for this podcast. Cause you've, you've got to see it. Although they don't have the chocolate covered pork rinds like you have on your site. That's, I made that and it was great. Was it? Yeah. I, you know, the, I, I don't mind. So I like if you get the chili pork rinds, I like dipping those in melted chocolate. But once it cooled down, I, I didn't enjoy the kind of snack version of it. But the texture, it got, it made the rinds a little soggy, but yeah. I think you've got a thing there. You got to make a chocolate dip. Yeah, it's really good. And it really goes well with the chili ones. You can find some, or chili lime dipped in, chili lime pork rinds dipped in chocolate sauce. Oh man, that's, that's so good. The spicy and the sweet and yeah. the whole tang. Yeah, it goes really well together. Hmm. I didn't do the chili because, well, because I'm, I call it paleo. Um, 
there's a lot of crap in that chili powder. So I just go full pork. <laughs> so how do you eat? Let's just start there. Are you, are you totally paleo or uh, like what's, what's your uh, diet of choice? Let's just dive in there. Well, my diet of choice is based on what my sensitivities are. I know what I'm sensitive to and I've done an elimination diet to where I did reintroduction. And for me, the thing that I'm most uh, sensitive to is dairy, which is weird because I'm an Eastern European and, um, and I had like a histamine response when I tested dairy. So I got sniffly and kind of a sore throat for a day. And, uh, and it's, they say that a lot of times the things that you crave the most are some of the things that you're most sensitive to. And, and it was true for me. Um, and so I thought I was a big, you know, coffee snob, but I'm mm. really a cream snob. Uh. So I was drinking the coffee for the cream. And uh, I'm just, I'm off that now. I, I, I have it for a treat sometimes, but I'll just put like, um, I hate to say bulletproof, but I do like to put butter and coconut oil in my coffee and blend it up. That If I, if I need to have, a coffee-like drink, I'll do that. So Eva, did you, I assume this is going to be cow dairy. Have you tried like goat or sheep where there's cream or I have, or but in coffee that has the element of ass taste to it. Yeah. I, I'm, I, not, I, I'm not sure how that tastes, but I would guess that's how it tastes. Well, I, not necessarily the taste, <laughs> but maybe the reaction. Did you get the reaction from, from non-cow? Yeah. Rocky and I have uh, actually talked about this before. So he's, He's, he's leading you into trying to get you back on dairy, but very specifically. So I, um, I do have now, I do have some sheep and cow, I mean, sheep and, um, goat cheese. And I do, um, I do, I use, I use sheep and goat yogurt, put it that way. I'll have that. Okay. So, you know, maybe, so, you know, although it's not really well looked at, um, there is this theory that it could potentially be the casein protein in the uh, specific um, breeds of animal. And most, Amer- mm. uh, most American cows tend to be one type of casein uh, versus cows from France, Germany, Switzerland uh, produce a different type of casein. So I don't know if you've looked at European products versus American products. Um, and the thing about sheep and goat dairy is they they make the quote-unquote more tolerable casein and not the inflammatory casein that you see with american cow breeds well then i think i am i think it is just cow casein and i do have to say the cows i've spent a lot of time in europe and um the most famous the most winning swiss ski racer got a cow at the end of the season as a trophy wow <laughs> and and you can tell why their cows probably don't give you as much problem because they're just clean and beautiful and they're uh, pristine. I never would have imagined getting a cow as a trophy. I wish I won one of those cows. They're worth like 10 grand. Wow. Yeah, they're expensive. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, they're nice. So thank you for that. Yes, I think it most likely is American cow casing that I'm sensitive to. Um. I also tested, uh, I tested casing and lactose separately and it was the lack, it was, well, it was the cream. It was whatever was in the cream, which I, which is more lactose actually. Um, I tested casein. I didn't have a reaction to casein that I could feel. Um, I tested gluten and I didn't have a reaction to gluten. And of course I tested alcohol and, um, I was fine, but I still avoid grains and I avoid for the most part, um, American cow dairy. I do have a little sheep and goats yogurt. And I cheat sometimes I'll have ice cream and you know, there's a really good birthday cake. I'll have some birthday cake. I mean, I'm not like nutso about it, but, um, I've been doing it for about six years and I feel pretty good. I think it's, um, I've had fluctuations in my weight, but I feel like I'm at a healthy weight for the most part. Yeah, you looked even a, when I'm you looked amazing in Lexington. You know, I think one <laughs> of the, <laughs> yeah. one of the things that gets passed on or overlooked is what you had just said about you feeling good. You know, a lot of people they're so focused on the food choices and on the diet, they kind of lose the aspect of the initial question is, well, how do you feel? You know? So it's Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, that goes back to I've been redefining health. I've been trying to think like what's the best way to actually define health because you can't define it in terms of blood parameters and it doesn't make sense to define in terms of gut health, uh, oddly enough. But, you know, what I've come up with like two main principles are uh, a high capacity for adaptation. Um, so you should be able to adapt pretty well to different environments, different exercise types, um, and even to some regard, different diets. But on top of that, it's also resiliency. So if say you are, you're describing it exactly, you've eliminated a lot of stuff from your diet, but at the same time, you'll have birthday cake or every once in a while you've got ice cream and your body can handle that. It's become resilient as well. It's not going to like just totally throw you out of whack and make you feel like crap for a week. Um, and <clears throat> so, you know, you've kind of got both of those aspects. And in my mind, if you, if you think about it, like that covers all things that could cover emotional health, uh, physical health, psychological health, you know, you've, you've got to have that ability to adapt. And once you're adapted, you've kind of got to be resilient to, you know, these, I don't know what you want to call them, poisoning events. If you want to think of it from a paleo perspective. You should be able to handle that without really worrying about it every once in a while. I, I agree. And I, I always tell people I have an iron stomach. I mean, I go to Mexico and I'll eat under, you know, the crack dealer's bridge at some fish taco place. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and I, at, for, I used to be really scared about that stuff. And, um, but my local friends are like, these guys have the freshest fish in town. These are the best. This is where you're going to get the best seafood in town. And you go down there and there's some plastic tables and it smells like urine. and you're like, oh, no way. But, you know, once I survived a few um, exposures, I was like, wow, I'm strong. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do I do see myself as having an iron stomach. And I don't know if that's from my Eastern Bloc heritage. But um, I've, and, you know, I'm one of those people, too. Like, I'll look at something in the fridge. I'm like, God, this has been here a long time. And a lot of people will chuck it and I will eat it. And I do okay. So, um, I'm just too lazy to go to the grocery store. I hate shopping more than anything. So, and then my, and my boss is Korean and she make her family makes kimchi. Mm -hmm. And when the kimchi gets older and sour, they're like, Oh, that's the time to give it to Eva. So I'll take <laughs> it and I'll eat it. But, um, so I do put challenging things in my body, but I, but I try to avoid the really processed stuff. The way I look at things is if it's got a lot of ingredients on it, it's probably got some, some crap in it. So I try to keep the ingredient list low. And, um, and those are the things I, I'm a package reader for sure. So if it's got like, like the chili powder for the pork rinds probably has like 60 ingredients. I'll probably stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, I think you're, you're actually probably making yourself even healthier. That it's another one of those things I, think if you introduce that kind of you know either out of date or potentially spoiled or whatever it is those kind of things your body you know gets a positive response from that you might have some sort of immune response even but that just makes you stronger to handle other stuff more easily um yeah it sounds like you, you pretty much do everything perfectly as as far as what i would i would tell people to do I didn't realize I, that. I, I might not. I do. I have. Um, I loved your podcast with Rob. Um, I did um, skim carb nights. I did get your PDF of backloading. And between that and interviewing other people that had actually done read every word, I, <laughs> <laughs> I am a um, moderate carb in the morning, generally fat and protein in the morning. Um, cause I really like, I know I like your, what you say about cortisol is high in the morning and that's when you burn fat. Um, and I start introducing carbs in the way of vegetables more midday and, um, I'll have my treats at night. There you so go. I'm not, um, totally compliant to everything you have said, but, um, I kind of trend that way. Well, that's it. It actually resets a lot of other hormones too. Like leptin will be high. During, if you save those treats, things that are going to raise your insulin levels more at night, uh, it actually trends to where leptin will be higher during the day, which means you can mobilize more body fat. Adiponectin goes, increases across the board, uh, which tells your body to be inefficient and 
allows it to burn more body fat. And then ghrelin, which is your main hunger hormone, only goes up in the evening when you're going to have those meals anyway. So you can actually reprogram some of the most important hormones in your body just by doing what you're doing. Just, you know, carb, that's part of the reason people do carb backloading and they're like, well, I can eat 400 calories over what it says my base metabolism is and I still lose weight. And it's because you're telling your body, hey, we don't want to store fat. We want to get rid of it. And so it becomes more inefficient. Right. I am a opportunistic fruit eater. So um, if, there, if I go to the farmer's market and strawberries are killer, I'll buy strawberries and I'll mm, eat them all. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> but, you know, I don't do it a lot. I do it when it's fresh and it looks outstanding. I'll do it. So um, that would be like one of my against the grain things. Um, yeah, because I never talk about fruit. I don't think I, and if I were going to eat fruit, that's the exact same way it's going to happen. I, I'll see something at the farmer's market down the street here and it just looks so good. Um, I'll eat yep. it. But in general, I don't, as, as far as part of like a healthy balanced diet, I still don't know how fruit fits into that. Like my opinion is it just doesn't, it's a treat every once in a while. I, I agree. It's a treat. And if I'm going to, if I, if I'm starving, I'll grab, you know, and I'm on the run, I'll have, I'll grab an apple or something. But, um, but generally, yeah, right now I don't have any fruit in the house. I think that's one of the hardest concepts that patients have to grasp a hold of is, is the fruit aspect because it's obviously it, it's certainly healthier than a Twinkie or a cherry turnover from a, from a nutritional standpoint. But one of the things that it's hard to, at least I have problems with patients as they fight me on is that how can I not eat fruit or how can, how, why are you asking me to limit the fruit intake? And, you know, these are patients that are not necessarily Olympic athletes, obviously. Uh, but that's one of the biggest stumbling points. I think that is hard to portray. And, you know, often they'll come in and they'll have their banana in their hand and look, look, I got my banana. I'm doing something good for myself. And in general, you know, they don't really understand the perspective of, you know, where it lies in. Right. Or the people that drink pomegranate juice all day, every day, because it's supposed to be <laughs> super healthy. No, ACI a- a- berry, ACI berry. Oh yeah. That's the new one. Yeah. Well, With it, chia seeds in it. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, and we get these mixed signals, you know, it's like, oh, you need all these antioxidants. These antioxidants are going to help you. And none of that research is panned out. We actually have research that high levels of antioxidants can be detrimental to you. And if you just look at vegan and vegetarian populations, uh, it turns out they have something like 10,000 times the levels of free antioxidants in their blood that meat eaters do. But they have all the same rates of like all the same diseases when you match for um, activity and body mass. It's not protective at all. So I, I don't know... I don't know how long it's going to take to get rid of those messages. Like, you know, the antioxidants you should worry about are like glutathione that your body makes naturally that's located in every cell in your body. Those are the antioxidants that make a big difference. And you just get that from eating meat. Yes. What is the precursor to glutathione? That's uh, 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 zinc, right? Yeah, and, you need zinc, um, right. <clears throat> and uh, some sulfur, right? Yeah, and that's from your protein load. So it's pretty much overall right. protein load. As long as your zinc balance is, is uh, in check, overall protein load will pretty much skyrocket levels of glutathione. And I know whey protein, even though you're not dairy, whey protein has a very profound effect on glutathione levels. I eat whey protein. <laughs> in fact, I just started, I, I'm not a shake person because I really think you need to chew your food. And if you can't eat what you're putting into the blender, unless you're trying to gain weight, you probably should just eat it. But uh, recently I lost a lot of weight. When you saw me, I was a little, I'm, I'm started to worry that I was losing muscle, muscle mass. Mm. So I started doing this avocado shake. So I put a whole avocado. Um, I have some whey protein that has a little vanilla and it's sweetened with stevia, which doesn't really stoke me, but it has a little vanilla flavor. And I put a cucumber in there and, and some ice and blend it. And um, it's delicious. And it's, uh, I get my whey protein that way man this is the so. one show i told you before the show that i never record video this is the one time that i wish i had because the look on both mine and rocky's face when you talked about what you throw on that shake was just 
pretty much utter disgust. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's really good. You should try it. My friend made a chocolate mousse with um with avocado. I've it makes things creamy. I've heard of people doing that stuff before. I just have not been able to buy in. I just I don't like avocados. I don't mind avocados, but the, but that concoction, I'm not sure, man. I, I <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make one down in Texas and I'm gonna force one down your throat. Oh, awesome. <laughs> but I did remember I think that we I just heard someone say Olympic athletes are healthy and you wanted me to talk a little bit about um, something that you heard me say in uh, Lexington. And one of the things I say in my talks is that an athlete is not a certificate of health. Being an athlete, an Olympic athlete is not a certificate of health and that I have my categorization of athletes. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think that if you were an Olympic athlete or a professional athlete, that you, it's not a guarantee you're going to be healthy in the future. In fact, it's a, almost a guarantee of being unhealthy unless you really, really watch out and, um, or you really uh, take action to reverse the damage that you did in your athletic career. And I learned that firsthand that I, I did a lot of damage to myself in my ski career, not only tissue damage, but, you know, um, overtraining and, uh, the fear of my sport and the travel and just the wear, um, I came out on the other end, um, probably less healthy than someone that was having a normal life, taking care of themselves. Yeah. You, you talked a great deal about that. Uh, <clears throat> particularly what, what I found really interesting about your talk was, well, a few things, but one that really stuck out was how much you would train and how much you would prepare. And, you know, we, we now know, although we being the more science oriented people who um, are, are focused on health and performance, we know that training too much can actually be really detrimental and hurt your performance. And like you just talked about really hurt your health too, and hurt your health in the long term. So, you know, can you, you had this great story about how much you trained and, you know, you were training all through the summer and then you went to, I think it was qualifications. Was it? Yeah, we had, well, we had a, a, yeah. So we, uh, trained through the summer and in August we go down to Portillo, Chile. Um, it's winter down there, um, in our August. And, um, I was the type of person who trained, I, I, my motto was leave no stone unturned. So I wanted to be in the starting gate at the beginning of the season with no question that I was prepared. Um, that was based on kind of a more is better attitude. Um, recovery was for pussies and that, that kind of thing. And, um, so when we go to the ski area in Portillo, we all stay in one hotel and as athletes, you know, you cruise in other people's rooms and you see what's going on and you see what happened that day on the hill. Um, and on the U.S. ski team, there's two teams. There's a technical team, which uh, races the shorter turns, slalom and GS. And then there's the speed team, which races super G and, and downhill. And I was a technical skier and peekaboo was a speed skier. And I will never forget coming over to see how the speed team's giant slalom time trials went and peak said was sitting on her chair slouching she pulls up her shirt she grabs her belly and she says i didn't do crap this summer and i just beat everyone by a second a run in, in time in, in the tra- training runs and uh, she proceeded to win the world cup overall title in downhill that year and i was pissed <laughs> i was like I worked so hard and I'm getting, you know, I was getting top three, but I was for the most part, a top 10 skier. I wasn't getting what I thought I was working for. So did that at that time, when you saw that, did you, did it make you change your philosophy at all? Or did you go the opposite and train even harder? Uh, I think I stayed the same, but it took me about 10 years post career. To look back and go, oh, duh. Like it started, 
I had to prove it to myself by overtraining beyond when I retired. I started doing CrossFit too hard and just, I was what I call squirrel when you just can't stop moving. You see a piece of exercise equipment, you have to touch it or you have to lift it or you have to jump on the rings and show off your mad moves to the world. And, um, that was me. And, um, it came to a crashing halt when I started having kind of chronic injuries, not feeling good. And, uh, so it wasn't until I actually did some blood work. Um, and Rob Wolf looked at it and he said, you're on your way to diabetes sister. And I, I couldn't believe that because I was eating well. I'd read his book. I was eating, um, good food and I was limiting my sugar intake and things were just out of whack. And he said, all you, all you're allowed to do is lift weights, walk, and you can do, you know, a little bit of sprinting. And so, you know, it had, it had been the blood work plus some muscular skeletal, um, pain, chronic injuries, like some little nagging thing every week. And, and that, that prompted me to just start looking into what was going on and, um, learning about uh, overtraining and, um, and lifestyle. And that's where, that's what my business is based on now is trying to teach others what I learned through my own, um, bad judgment. It's funny that we, I've had this conversation with Joel Jameson and we were talking about his BioForce HRV and how I, I made the assumption that uh, or, or I just asked, is like, do you find that athletes are more in tune with their body or not? And he said, athletes are the worst because it doesn't matter what injury they have. It doesn't matter if they feel bad. It doesn't matter if they have some lack, you know, chronic injury, they'll train through it. Their attitude is to ignore their body instead of listening to it. And if I thought about it, you know, that rings really true. I remember when I was younger and I had all my injuries and, you know, would, do crazy stuff like play a sport until my feet were bleeding because I just wanted to get better. Uh, it, I always had this attitude, well, if I'm not, for every day I'm not in the gym or for everything I don't do, there's somebody out there who is, and they're that much farther ahead of me. So it made me do more and more, and I ignored all kinds of messages my body were, was trying to give me uh, many, many times. <clears throat> and that's why I have probably all the injuries, you know, I've torn a pec, I've got some minor tears in my bicep, I've got a little nerve problem in my left shoulder, you know, I've dislocated an elbow, I mean, you name it, my knees were killing me when I was on the bike all the time. Uh, luckily, I didn't suffer any erectile dysfunction from being on that bike seat too long, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sure if I'd kept it up, I might have, I don't know. Um, and I probably would have ignored it. You know, I'd have been like, well, you know, this is what it takes to get better or that's just something that's temporary. You know, I probably would have ignored it and just kept going. I've got some carpal tunnel problems because of the way I would uh, ride on the hoods of the of the bicycle. You know, I just ignored that. I ignored all of it. And to this day, sometimes I'll go in the gym and I know something is hurting me, but I'll, <clears throat> you know, see these young guys on the bench and I've just got to go over and load it up with three plates on each side and do a few quick reps with no warm up just to be a dumbass. I mean, basically I've got no reason to do it, but I still have that mental problem where, you know, I, I just can't control it sometimes. And I have it too. Just recently I went to this alumni ski race up in Squaw Valley. They had the U S nationals in Squaw and, um, they're like, Eva, are you going to do the alumni challenge? And I was thinking, hell no. I looked at my equipment and I still get equipment from my sponsors. And I've got these little short skis with flowers on them. They're just, you know, they're the <laughs> skis they want me to be seen on. And I've got, you know, jean pants and a gold parka with fur on it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get on in the starting gate and I'm going to be chewing bullets to beat everybody on this equipment that's probably going to explode on me halfway down <laughs> if I put the power I want to to win. And so my I've had to go to the point where it's like the best defense is don't be there. And I just said, no, don't sign me up for the race because I my stupid gene is not turned off. <laughs> as, as hard as I try, it is not turned off. So that's why I like to surf because it's pretty safe. Like you crash surfing, you're crashing in the water, you know, um, you can drown if you go out when it's too big, but, um, that's a sport for me that, um, but I ride dirt bikes too. And people are like, why? And I'm like, I, I, it's just so much fun. And, 
I can see that's like a big S on my forehead, stupid gene, still there. So, um, but I have learned a lot and I have scaled back a ton and I am able in the gym for sure. I'm like, at this point, it's like, who the hell cares what I look like in the gym? I have proven myself as an athlete. I don't need to prove myself anymore. And where it transfers to my clients is I'm just trying to teach them how to moderate and how to listen to their bodies and how to either not awaken the stupid gene or um, just be smart. And it's it's been effective with most of my clients that I've spent a lot of time with. But um, in general, um, when you go into the gym, especially and with the competition, fitness competition coming back, you know, the CrossFit games, and now they have like the, um, what's on the plate now, the National Fitness League. Um, you know, that <clears throat> type of stuff has brought me to where I've categorized athletes. I think I was talking about this earlier. You've got your athlete that is, is either an Olympian or a pro athlete, and they are, it is their life. They're making their income off it. They're paying their mortgage with it. And um, it's 24-7. It's year-round. You don't have time for a job. You're just doing your sport. And then I have the recreational athlete. And I've also been a recreational, a recreational athlete myself through Olympic weightlifting and doing CrossFit. I would categorize that as recreational. And that's the most dangerous one. It's when the guy who was the nerd in school who was picked last on the team or someone who is pretty good at sports, but they always wanted to be a quote unquote athlete, um, wants to do a recreational sport. I think that's great. I think it's fine, but you need to a either have a plan for recovery after you do the competition and b understand what that's going to look like for you in the big picture. Um, I'm seeing people with young children and they're training so hard and they're competing so hard. And when you look at clients, you need to know and you need to ask yourself, where are they going to be in 10, 20, and 30 years at this rate? And um, the prognosis is not good if you take a hard look at it. And then the third category I call exercisers. And those are people who just are believing that they're exercising just for health, but you have to define that for them. And I think that through my experience, the minimum effective dose is the healthiest way to exercise. Keep your body composition in check and keep you um, able to do your passions. And for me, that's surfing. And for some people, it's other sports. And for some people, it's taking care of their family. And I think you have to look at that big picture and you have to look at those categories, put yourself in that category, and then critically think about which you want to be down the road and how worth it is to you to put out this effort now for potentially what could happen down the line. So Eva, I know that regen and recovery is a little bit more on the radar now among professional athletes and athletes in general. But when you were with the national team, was this something that was not a focus or something that was not really addressed? I mean, we look at some professional athletes that have health problems, whether I think they had a hockey player recently that had a sudden cardiac event on the ice or the basketball players or the baseball players or the football players that have health issues. And one would think when when medals are on the line, when millions of dollars are on the line, that an initial evaluation at the beginning of the season is pretty comprehensive. Was, was that something that doesn't happen or is that something that was occurring at a real minimal level? It was at my it, in my career as an Olympic athlete and a world-class athlete, it was a more is better attitude. Um, and at that time, the U.S. ski team performed at that sort of attitude. We were, gosh, I think we were in the Nations Cup, like, sixth, which was pretty, pretty bad. And um, now I went to the Center of Excellence in um, Salt Lake City, in actually Park City, Utah, and they have this amazing um, facility where they're testing for recovery. If an athlete's sick, they pull them from the training camp. They're very, the science is more about as, as much of about recovery and preparedness as it is performance. And you look at the U.S. ski team now and they are the best in the world. And I think it's because we took our technology away from training so much and we put it more into recovery and um and regeneration and 
And that's what I saw when I was there last year. And it was incredible. And they're using the U.S. ski teams using, you know, Joel's HRV. I talked to the women's head coach last week and he said they're, they're they are out, you know, cause sometimes they say, you know, they put the patch on your, your coat mm-hmm. and, um, whether you're using the product or not is questionable, but, um, they actually are using the HRV. And I talked to some of the coaches and the attitude is completely different. You know, they're talking about someone like Julia Mancuso who lives in Maui in the summer and she just turned 30 and what are they going to do with her? How are we going to keep her stimulated to keep winning? And part of keeping her stimulated is making her not ski that much and letting her do what she loves to do. And maybe having fewer competition starts the next season or kind of gaining her season a little more and um, making it exciting for her. And that was never heard of when I was on the team. It was work your ass off. You get a gold star if you did a three a day and you ate as much food as possible. And um, we don't care about your sleep. I'm really glad you got up at five, even though you got went to bed 11 just to get that weight session in. And so the attitude was ass backwards. And um, I think that's where the other teams in Europe had a one up on us until we started to, to study it and get educated in it and use it. Well, then we have the resources to be the best in the world. And I think in my opinion, for the U S ski team, the resources to be the best in the world is the technology for the exact right amount of training to win and not, not a bit more. Right. And that goes, you know, I think that ties in perfectly to, you know, a high capacity to adapt, you know, the more you're training, the less sleep you get, um, you're not paying attention to your diet. You're, you're limiting your body's ability to adapt. And that's what sports performance is all about. You need to adapt to the next level and you need to be prepared after that to adapt to the next level. And if you're beating yourself up constantly, you, you just lose that ability to adapt. And, you know, oddly enough, now that professional sports are starting to understand this and do the research on it and starting to pair back, it seems like we're seeing this attitude growing the, the bad attitude growing in what you call the, um, you know, either the, the recreational athlete or the exerciser. And that's mm-hmm. where now that's getting like really full bore there. And, you know, CrossFit usually comes out as an example just because that attitude really is the more is better. The more is better. The more you do this, the more mm-hmm. times per week. And you know, that it's, it's hard to say where that attitude came from. Did that attitude come from professional sports and the perception there? And if that's the case, uh, do you, do you think that all this new, the new paradigm at that top level is going to help trickle down? Or do you see that as something that's really difficult? Cause I, I know you work, you used to do CrossFit pretty avidly. And as far as I understand, you work with people who were CrossFitters or, you know, are attempting to do CrossFit. Do you you see any headway there or is it still just more is better beat myself into the ground? Well, um, couple things. Um, I see that the, the attitude about more is better does come from the higher echelon athletes that you look at a commercial and it's about hard work and dedication. They're still talking about that. But hard work and dedication, you have to remember that hard work isn't just what we perceive as hard work and banging weights in the gym and sprinting and and exercising. Hard work is resting. I mean, for someone that is an an athlete, and you might agree, telling someone to sit it out for a day is very difficult for an athlete to do. And I would say that's kind of hard work. But as it's expressed to the general public, hard work is, is getting in there six days a week and working as hard as you can. I think that in combination with the addiction of exercise, the fear of stopping and that you're going to get fat or that you're not going to be this image, um, also keeps people in this overtraining mode. As far as trickle down, um, to rest and recovery, I think it is trickling down, but not, I think people are still tending to do more than they need to do for health. And, um, Things like like Joel's BioForce HRV are things that are becoming mainstream, and uh, I think a lot of people are using that. And I think that's 
a huge gift to everyone that's doing exercise and trying to be healthy. Um, so that's kind of my spiel there. I, I think that <clears throat> you're exactly right that the perception of what athletes are doing or what the recreational athletes are trying to do, and that's potentially hurting them. Yeah, that's the, it's always the most, if you can, if you can get somebody to give you total control and you can show them that they can do less and get more from it, I mean, that is always a game changer, but that's so hard. You know, where I have the best examples of that are female figure athletes, because when they, when they sign up, they want everything laid out for them. And if they've come from another coach, which happens often, you know, they're used to doing, you know, two or three hours of cardio a day on top of their weight training session and their calories are extremely low. And then here they work with me and I've like up to their calories. I've cut their training volume just exponentially. You know, sometimes they're only training three times a week and their cardio is walking a few times a week. And they're just, they're so confused and combatant at the beginning. They're like, this can't work. This isn't going to work. I'm going to look horrible. You know, this, I, this can't be right. And they try to sneak in other sessions. And, you know, as we evolve through it, eventually they get to the point. It's like, I don't understand how this is working so well. I don't understand how so little work is producing these results. I'll get that from patients as well, particularly the first responders too. I'll cut back their exercise activity. We change your diet and they're just, again, they're, they resist so much sometimes and then you finally get them to change. They get a positive effect. And as soon as they get their positive effect, they go back to their old ways because, well, I could do it now. Right. I feel better. And that, you know, it's, it's hard to make that stick. It's really a hard attitude. And thinking back to when I was young, and you probably know this even better than I do because you were a higher level athlete even when you were younger, Eva. You know, when I was young, I could beat myself to death and feel okay the next day or feel okay a couple days later. And so it was really hard because I was so young and youth just brings on high adaptability and high recovery that I would abuse that for very long periods of time. And now that I'm older, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. I, all of a sudden I'm like, wow, how much overage did I do when I was younger and how much better capacity would I have now had I not beaten myself up so much? And I think that's where CrossFit, you know, this attitude can kind of last because you've still got some young people doing that kind of exercise and they can beat themselves up for weeks on end before they notice anything. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's usually something traumatic and they'll attribute it to something else. Like I know this uh, one person, he's in Northern California, you know, a huge avid CrossFit. He was doing CrossFit every day, twice a day. You know, he was just killing himself. And then about three and a half, four months into it, he just did something really simple. He tripped backwards over a barbell that somebody had left behind him and he tore his ACL. Ah! Yeah. And he's just, and, and he totally blamed it on all kinds of other stuff. It couldn't have been CrossFit. It couldn't have been because he was overtraining. You know, it was just, he had some defect from something, you know, he couldn't even think to admit that maybe he'd just been overtraining and to carry that message on. You know, instead he goes into the gym on his crutches and he's, you know, yelling at people to do more and more and more. I mean, it's one right. of the most incredible things that I've seen. People don't know what the beginning of CrossFit really was like. And to this, and at that time I was kind of an exercise addict, but I did very little of it in the beginning. Greg Glassman had us train where we kind of laughed how little we did. And that's really, I think CrossFit is so powerful that I tell the people that I work with, if you're really into CrossFit two times a week, three max, you get plenty from that. <laughs> and, um, and that should be something they should celebrate. That is cool. Um, but I, I'm with you. I, you know, you saw me in Lexington and I have to say I hadn't been doing it. I'm, I wasn't exercising. I, uh, was eating well. And, um, you know, I go through phases where weight drops off me like crazy. Mm -hmm. And like I told you, I was a little nervous about it, but it wasn't the exercise that really had me lose body fat. It was my diet and my lifestyle. Um, I do a lot of walking. That's my new like favorite thing to do. And, um, I just, I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's just so hard. We have 
we get positive feedback when we're younger about training really hard and we are successful. I won a medal from training like a nut and I, I was successful and it was because of my hard work. Well, could I have worked less hard and still won a medal? Yes. Could it have been gold instead of bronze? Maybe. Um, but we ha- when we're young, we do get positive feedback from all, all this crazy work we can do. And as you get older, you have that imprint in your head, like this is what I did before and this is what I'm going to do again. And you just can't do that as you age. It's sad because none of us want to age. None of us want to get older. None of us want to, to see the reality of what age is doing to us but it really is there. And um, that's the hard thing is that a lot of people that are starting CrossFit are like in their mid thirties and they are having great results. The first six months they are, but then they've adapted to everything you can do there. And all of a sudden they start to get tired and they start to gain weight back. And instead of changing directions and trying a new way of training, they just do everything harder. Right. And it compounds the problem. It, it's funny the statement you made about, you know, nobody wants to get old, but, you know, I have this theory that I would love to see tested out, but it'd be very hard to do. But, you know, if you trained at the right level, which, like you said, the minimum dose for effectiveness, if you trained at that right level, even when you're young as a teenager, I would bet that that wouldn't change very much throughout your life. You know, that would, you would have a very long usable life and your training volume probably wouldn't differ that much through your entire life. We just, we see it as, well, we're younger and the, a young body can handle all that damage so much better than an older body that we just assume, you know, it's just because we're getting older that we can't perform at this level or we can't train the same way. I think it's really the assumption should be, we shouldn't be training that way when we're younger so that we can continue to train at the right volume our entire lives. And I, I, you know, I don't know if that's true or, you know, how much you would have to drop off, but I would bet it's really not that much. You know, when we start looking at, you know, the overall strength of a muscle is what is the direct correlation for bone density. And, you know, you can get septuagenarians to have great bone structure just by simple strength training. And, you know, all these things, I, I have a feeling that our performance lifespan could be much, much longer if we tuned our tuned our exercise to the appropriate level when we're younger. Um, and yes, and I wanted to come back around to diet too because I piss people off all the time. Uh, I go through phases where I'm so busy. You know, for maybe a three month span, I'll get into the gym three or four times, and yet during those periods. I'm super lean. If I just, you know, tweak my diet a little bit for a few days, like my abdomen, all like my abs come in, my obliques are popping out. I've got striations in places and, and people get so pissed off. They're like, you, you never train. Like how, how are, how is it that you look so good? You hold a lot of muscle mass. Like this doesn't make sense. I'm like, my diet is really dialed in most of the time. You know, and that doesn't mean I never eat cherry turnovers like I talk about. You know, I eat that junk and I I eat it maybe a couple times a week. But for the majority of the time, my diet's really dialed in. You know, I've got my fat loads dialed in. I've got my protein loads dialed in. I'm eating real food. I'm not trying to live on shakes. And when you do that, you understand like the exercise is a really small portion. And when I do get back into the gym regularly, like in a week, the changes are phenomenal. And again, it's because like my diet is the thing that I pay 99% of my attention to. The training, you know, right now at this point in my life, I don't have any goals. So I just try to get into the gym to stay strong, uh, stay limber, stay, you know, healthy. And beyond that, I just focus on diet. And the world of difference between that and how I was when I was younger, where I didn't pay that much attention to my diet, or well, I did, but it was the wrong diet. And then the exercise I had to do to compensate for that crappy diet was, you know, phenomenal. And I, I still don't look like I, I didn't look then like I do now. And it feels like I don't put any effort into it whatsoever. I think with the whole young thing, I, I'm, I'm with you on this. Just because you can doesn't mean you should is a good, is a good statement to make. Yeah. And, um, and secondly, people look at my abs and they're like, how did you get your abs like that? And I hear people saying, I did a thousand crunches this morning. And, 
And I always say abs are made in the kitchen. It's as simple as that. You know, everyone's got abs. They're under there. You just got, you've got beautiful abs. You just got to find them. And, it, and it's not going to be by doing ab workouts or running or anything. It's going to be by dialing in your diet. Yeah. It's, it's hard to convince young people of that though. And even not even that young, you know, when I was in my thirties, I wouldn't have necessarily called myself young anymore, but even talking to other 30 year olds, it's so hard to convince them of that. Um, almost impossible. And I'm sure Rocky, you see that in your, in your practice with exercise and when people are trying to lose weight. You know, the thing I always see again is that more, more is better attitude. And Again, everyone's focused on moving more. That's the one ubiquitous thing I see with patients coming in trying to lose weight. Well, you know, it's not my diet. I just need to exercise more. And that's, I, I just, I mean, uh, day does not go by when, when I talk to a patient who needs to lose weight and they go, yeah, I just need to exercise more. And the concept of diet is almost a kind of put the wayside. And, and when I say, well, you know, honestly speaking, probably what you need to really pay attention to about 95% of the time is your diet and not stress out about how much activity you're doing. And not to say that activity isn't important uh, for overall health, but again, we always talk about what is the goal and, and the goal is, is to reduce body fat. So, but it's just, uh, it so often falls on deaf ears. Yeah. Exercise seems to do, I'm sure both of you have done this when you were younger, you went out, you went on a bender and you drank all night and you, and um, you ate shitty and you had some crappy breakfast at five in the morning and you slept one hour and you woke up and you said, oh my God, I just thrashed my body. I'm going to go work out to yep. make it better. And we've all done that. And it's like the worst thing you could do. You know, it's uh, I remember talking to my father who was a um, PhD in kinesiology and we got in a big fight in the car one time about I said, exercise is perpetual. If you exercise, it makes you want to keep moving. And he said, no, I think we're all a battery. And if you run your battery too hard, it's going to get weak later in life. And that made me so mad. And I said, that's so wrong. <laughs> you charge your battery by exercising you. It's, 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 uh, it's perpetual. And, we, and, you know, I have gone to my dad, who's 82 now, and I said, you know what? All the things that you said to me back then were right. And I apologize for being such a young, dumb asshole, but you were right. I see it now in, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but he's right. I think you just wear out your parts. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. A lot of people don't know, like almost across all animal species and kingdoms, uh, you've got the heart has about for, if you look at any animal and you look at its lifespan, and you look at its average heartbeat, uh, it's, we all have about 2 billion heartbeats to spend, and then the heart stops. This is like very consistent against, across a lot of animal species. And that's one reason we could say, you know, the better cardiovascular health you have might correlate with a longer lifespan because actually your heart doesn't have to beat as fast. And if you've got like high blood pressure or, you know, chronically stressed, your heart beats a lot faster. Uh, more of the time. So his analogy is almost perfect. If you just look at the heart, you know, we've got 2 billion heartbeats to spend in a lifetime. Do you want to spend those chronically stressed all the time? So your heart's just always racing, or do you want to spend those in a more relaxed way that will then extend your useful life? And, you know, there's all kinds of ways to do that and be healthy and even perform at really high levels. You don't, you don't have to, you know, so you raise your heartbeat for a 30, 40, or even a three hour workout uh, a couple times a week, then it, it calms down to a much lower heart rate later. So you can, you know, you can still do all this exercising uh, done appropriately without overtaxing your body's systems and without running out the battery, so to speak. Yeah. I really like James O'Keefe's stuff. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of his video on TED. Um, and he talks about mostly distance, uh, athletes and, uh, not the number of heartbeats, but he talks about the heart getting the heart muscle getting scarred. And a lot of these, especially runners end up with, you know, atrial fib 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. they'll take they'll take flecainide and just keep running, you know, <laughs> right. and um, and that's just nuts to me. And it, that's where I think the whole like addictive piece comes in. And unfortunately, I I look I show people my knees and I'm like, look at my knees and my joints. And exercise shouldn't take you to the surgeon. Um, and you you need to preserve your body and. Unfortunately, it does take like a tragic incident to happen with a lot of these folks that are going so hard to get them to to think about um, what their exercise is doing for them. And if you lost five pounds of body fat, but you had to have shoulder surgery, you have to take a hard look at that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And it's weird. And, you know, I think that's where what Joel said really rings true. And I think that's what's coming into the recreational athlete and exercisers, you know, purview is this idea of, well, you know, I should ignore it. You know, a a professional athlete would ignore it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to train through it. And I don't know how many times I heard that when I was younger. Oh, well, just train through it. You know, oh, you Mm -hmm. know, your elbow hurts. Just train through it. You can train through it. And inevitably, I always did, which obviously was not the smartest thing in the world. Like the my left elbow joint, it's been worn away because of that, where it doesn't always sit in socket. It'll pop out of that joint pops out of socket all the time, and it is painful to have it reset. Um, But I can be functional, unfortunately, even when it is out of joint, because I've, you know, I forced myself to learn to ignore it for so long. It's like it's more like a twinge than a pain. I'm just like, ah, you know, whatever. And then, you know, my elbow's been sitting out of joint for a week. Yeah, that's tough. I yesterday I went to see my orthopedic surgeon. I was very worried because my knee has this clunk in it. And I thought, uh, you know, the meniscus has failed and I'm bone on bone. And this is it. This is the the appointment where they're gonna say, you need a up, you know, uni, what do they call it? A uni compartmental uh joint replacement yeah joint replacement thank you (laughs) and i was just ready i was ready for the words to come out of his mouth and um i have moderated my training in the last five years and i have very little joint space in my right knee in the lateral compartment and he said to me your your knee is a miracle he goes you have very little joint space and it hasn't changed at all in the last five years And, um, that was good news. No surgery, not even Motrin. He didn't even say you have to take anti-inflammatories. He said, wear your knee brace when you go wake surfing. And, uh, he goes, I don't don't want you to, the one thing I didn't disagree, agree with him with, he's like, I don't want you to squat so that it's always clicking. But we did determine that the clicking was probably a ligament moving over the joint, um, versus like something structural. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but you can slow stuff down if you're smart. It does work. And uh, you, you maybe can't reverse damage, but you can, um, you can slow it down to the point where it's not progressing. And, um, and know that even if you have screwed up, and I would say that I'm the queen of screwing it up in the past, and that's why I do what I do, um, you, you can be okay. And you can, if you, if, if you're, the earlier you get your brain on straight, the healthier you're going to be able to proceed down the road i think that is a incredible way to wrap up the show because we're right at the one hour mark perfect yeah that was uh you know i thanked you for coming on before but i honestly think this is one of the best podcasts we've had in a long time oh thanks yeah no it was really good we covered a lot of topics and i think it will help a lot of people if they'll just listen and that's I agree as well. I mean, it, it was really uh, great talking to you. Uh, I'm not necessarily looking forward to my avocado shake, but but I will try it. I won't. I'll send you one in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Come all brown and it'll be black. <laughs> but that's that adaptation. You know, you've got to eat some rotten food and see if you can live. Right there, you go. Well, Rocky will be at Paleo FX too, so you can force the shake down him as well. Oh, I look forward to meeting you, Rocky. I I, I as well. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, uh, have a, have a good one. And I hope our audience has a good day and I hope they really listen to this podcast and take some of these messages to heart. And, uh, that's another episode of body IO FM.
been listening to Body IOFM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.